when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And a very good morning to you and what is a lovely bright Monday morning. Uh, long may this uh, nice weather continue. Hoping you all had a lovely uh, weekend. John Paul is taking your calls at 1850 Texting and WhatsApping at 0862103103. And I suppose let's start the programme where we left off on Friday. At the close of the programme on Friday, we were talking about the presidential candidate Peter Casey and the fact that he announced on Friday that he was taking time off from the campaign at the weekend and he was going to reflect on whether he would continue in the race or not and then the news broke yesterday evening that he has decided yet he's going to stay in in the race and this was after the huge backlash that he had about comments he made about the travelling community last uh, week. He's now put himself in the centre of fresh criticism over his suggestion that Ireland has become a welfare state the Social Protection Minister. As soon as I heard his comments about social welfare I said oh I wonder what Regina Doherty is going to have to say about this she jumped in straight straight away and described him as having breathtaking uh, ignorance he, what, what Peter Casey did was he wrote an open letter uh, to the Sunday Independent where he spoke about the Ireland he is seeing and it's an Ireland where he says people are becoming to expect everything no, not to demand they expect the state to look after him and that sort of came on the back of what he said about the travelling community last week he did admit that he didn't know that the state had formally recognised travellers as an ethnic minority and of course he dismissed that status as absolute uh, nonsense he claimed that he decided not to pull out of the race after he got what he said was a swell of private support from people all over the country he is today meeting with his campaign team to decide what is going to be the strategy from here uh, for here for the rest of the week I mean there's less than a week now to go this time next week we will know who the President of Ireland is going to be for the next seven years if you're certainly looking at the opinion polls it does look like it's going to be Michael D Higgins and I have a sneaking feeling that next week we may be discussing why we ever had a presidential election particularly with the cost of it coming in at 15 million euro but back to Peter Casey in this open letter 
This is where he was talking about people living on welfare. He says there were many people very vulnerable in this country. He said disabled, the elderly, people in care or for whatever reason can't work. He said they deserve every penny in support, if not more. But he says Ireland is slowly becoming a welfare dependent state with a sense of entitlement that is simply becoming unaffordable. He hit out at the socialist politicians who he said were focusing on welfare and social housing at the expense of the mortgage payers and the taxpayers. He says, where is the incentive to work in this country? We've become a nation of people who expect no demand that the state looks after them. It pays all of their bills, it provides them with homes and it provides them with all sorts of social benefits. And you you sort of, you listen to his words and you think, yeah, there's going to be a cohort of people in this country, the squeezed middle that are so often referred to, the people who Leo Varadkar once referred to as get up early in the morning and go out to work, the people who we would hear from uh, every now and again. I mean, certainly we heard from them the time of the budget when people were saying that those on social welfare seemed to get more than those who went out to work every day after the budget they were better off than the people who went out to work so there is uh, there's already a divide there and I think that's what he's tapping into and that's what he's going to fuel he's going to fuel that divide between the people who are working who are struggling to pay mortgage struggling to pay high childcare costs who sort of look at people on social welfare and they have this perception that they get everything for free and yet you have people on social welfare looking at people who are working saying well I wish that I could go out to work and then you throw into the mix people who have a lot of children. That's where the welfare state really seems to benefit is probably the wrong word but seems to we look after people with a lot of children and some would say that that's only rightly so you can't have children living in poverty so if you've got a family that have a large amount of children I mean I'm thinking of that woman Margaret Cash who made the headlines for when the photograph of her and her children sleeping in the Garda station when people broke down how much she was getting every year through lone parents what she was getting for the children what she was getting on her children's allowance her back to school allowance fuel allowance what she'd be getting under HAP if she was if she found a house that she could rent and it came out at over €50,000 a year and I remember thinking at the time uh, you know because people were saying why isn't she out at work I mean trying to find a job that would allow her to take home that kind of money I mean because she would be getting the 50000 after tax it would be impossible for her to find a job that would pay that amount of money and then she'd have to add childcare costs into it uh, as well. So you have people like that and then uh, and then you have people working, looking at that woman saying she seems to be getting everything. I'm not getting any help with my mortgage. I'm not getting any help with my childcare uh, costs. I'm, I've got a struggle for the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance. So I think what Peter Casey is doing, there will be a cohort of people who will say, yes, he is speaking the truth. We are turning into a welfare state. And uh, our, but our own social protection minister says it is breathtaking uh, arrogance uh, what he is calling on and, and she wants to know she wants to know who should we target for less welfare and says you know will it be the pensioners uh, who are single the biggest block of recipients maybe she says it's lone parents he wants us to pick on who in the main are women trying to raise families on their own so she came out straight away and uh, attacked uh, Peter Casey but Peter Casey remains in the race but of course as we found out on Friday before the close of the programme even if he had 
had decided over the weekend that he was going to pull out of the race. His name was still going and will appear and would still have appeared on the ballot paper next uh, Friday because the people who get a postal vote, you know, are military services or naval services overseas. They've already voted and obviously his name is already on the ballot paper. So he technically couldn't have pulled out, but he has decided he is going to go back campaigning. And only time, well, there should be an opinion poll at some stage during the week. There was some two opinion polls out at the weekend, but they didn't reflect what Peter Casey had said because most of those opinion polls had the recipients have been asked who are you going to vote for by Wednesday or on Wednesday and Wednesday was only the day where the comments that he made started to go public so they wouldn't have influenced the opinion polls at the weekend. So any opinion poll out this week will be interesting. It will be very interesting to see will his vote go up or will it? Will he lose? Now he's very low in the opinion. He'd gone up slightly actually in one of the opinion polls yesterday. He's at 2% so he's, t- he's still very low so only time will tell. Certainly we had a lot of calls in from people the silent majority people saying he, particularly his comments about the travelling community, that he was reflecting a view that's spoken about behind closed doors but many people are afraid to verbalise those uh, comments and there was a lot of that reflected in not just this radio station radio stations all over the country and certainly if you looked at social media over the weekend Peter, it did look like Peter Casey had a lot of support and he's claiming he got a lot of people contacting him by email messaging him and on social media asking him to stay in the race so he has decided to stay in the race and just on the presidential election I mean we contacted all of the presidential candidates with an offer if they would like to join us for uh, an interview and I'm delighted to say that Leonie Rida is going to join us live in studio and she's the first and only candidate so far who's joined us live I know we interviewed Chung Gallagher and we interviewed Joan Freeman who both agreed to do interviews over the phone but Leah is actually going to come live to studio uh, tomorrow so uh, we're, we're delighted to have a candidate uh, with us live. Um, but so if you've got a question for Leah and you read that particular point you want to put to Leah, uh, feel free to get, get it into us. She'll be joining us. I think it's after 11 o'clock tomorrow morning. So you can get that into us between now and then, uh, please. And also just briefly back to last Friday we had uh, we got a big reaction actually people are always very good to try to help out others we had a lady who contacted us looking for a set of rosary beads for a little girl and I was wondering actually in October why she was looking for rosary beads for a little girl because I was thinking it's a bit early for communion isn't it anyway we did, uh, she was in the West Cork area we had a number of people contact us and giving suggestions of where you could buy really nice rosary beads in various shops that sell them and a lot of people were suggesting shops that are cha- attached to cathedrals and churches that they have them on sale and then we got a really lovely offer from the treasure chest jewellers on Main Street in Mitchellstown um, a gentleman by the name of Eddie Walsh contacted us to say if you get that woman to contact me I would love to send her a free pair of rosary beads in the post which I thought was a really really nice offer he wasn't expecting her to travel from West Cork to Mitchellstown he said I'll pop a pair in the post to her so we put Eddie in contact with the lady who had looked for the rosary beads but then I did, I did a bit of further investigation to find out why did she need the rosary beads and it seems she she needs the rosary beads for her granddaughter who is making her first Holy Communion n- next May isn't it usually May time uh, when Holy Communion season will be upon us and the teacher had asked the children to bring in a pair of rosary beads I think they have to have their rosary beads with them this week in 
class and she asked the children you know who had rosary beads and very few had rosary beads and she said to them go and ask your grandparents they'll get you a pair of rosary beads almost like bypassing the, the parents and say go go to your granny granny will get you or granddad will get you a pair of rosary beads so anyway this grandmother took it literally and was only too happy to get a set of rosary beads for her granddaughter so anyway thanks to Eddie Walsh who has organising that to get the rosary beads to her and then when we had a further chat with Eddie Walsh he also told us that he operates a service whereby if your rosary beads get broken he will repair the rosary beads any day of the week in his shop and he does it free of charge. Isn't that lovely? Now, I don't know if, if that's kind of standard across the board with a lot of jewellery uh, shops because they obviously have the instruments that you'd need because rosary beads are so, can be such fine little... You know, some of the rosary beads can be really fine and a lot of them can have huge significance for a person. You know, they might have been a set of rosary beads that were given to them that maybe by, in, as in this case, a grandparent, maybe a set of rosary beads that were bought in Lourdes or in Medjugorje or bought in Knock, or they were blessed by a particular priest or a bishop or whatever and they'll have great you know, significance and sentimental value to them. So if the rosary beads get broken, they can be quite tricky to fix yourself. So there's a service that the Treasure Chest Jewellers on Main Street in Mitchellstown operate and no doubt have been operating it for many, many years. They fix rosary beads uh, any day of the week and he does it for free well done that's Eddie Walsh glad to give him a mention and thank you Eddie uh, for your kindness particularly to our listener last week now coming up on the programme uh, today uh, later on in the programme I'm going to be joined in studio by a young mother who I have to say has been on my mind all weekend and I was wondering what kind of a weekend is she having she has highlighted the fact that her 10 year old son is feeling suicidal and has actually had a suicide attempt And she is desperately looking for help to help her son. She goes to bed every night and and what little sleep she gets, she's in dread that she's going to wake up and that the son, her young boy, might have succeeded. Can you imagine living with that kind of worry? I mean, we all worry about our children, but to worry that your child at 10 is going to take his own life or even that he is thinking of taking his own life is just shocking. It just doesn't bear thinking. He's already in the CAM service, but she feels he's just not getting the help that he needs. So she's gone public to try and highlight it in the hope that somebody somewhere might listen and might give her the help that she needs. And I'm also hoping that maybe by telling her story with us on air, somebody might be able to offer advice, might be able to point her in the right direction of where she could go from here to get the help for her son and also to get the help for herself as well. It's just, that's just no way uh, to be living. We also hear the problem that a young wheelchair user has accessing public transport in West Cork. This is another one of those shocking stories that you think, what, you can't get on the bus because you're in a wheelchair? God almighty, it's 2018, you know. We're not living in the 1940s when they didn't have the proper ramps and we didn't have the proper buses to allow somebody with a disability to go about and lead an independent life as uh, possible. We hear from environmentalists who are concerned about the ongoing work that is going on on the River Band and this is the work that's badly needed for the flood reliefs for the flood relief work. Environmentalists believe we are into the month of October. They should be desisting from the particular type of work that they're doing so we'll hear more about uh, that. Health insurance, are you due to renew your health insurance for next year? If so, uh, we're going to hear from an expert about how 
health insurance premiums are coming down and advice on what we need to look out, out for when we're renewing our premium in order to try to get all of us to save a bit of money. And Annalise Drissell from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic will be joining us in the final hour of the programme uh, with some nutritional advice. So a lot to get to. And of course, as always, we'll sprinkle it with your calls and comments. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And I was talking about a welfare state which has been suggested by uh, Peter Casey that that's what this country has become and I mentioned uh, Margaret Cash that woman from Dublin who got a lot of public profile because she photographed her children sleeping on a Garda station in Dublin because there was no room at the inn there was no hotel she was homeless and there was no hotel for her and her seven uh, children so she ended up and um, she got a huge amount of uh, reaction from it and then I was mentioning the the amount of money she was making from welfare because she was a single mother with uh, seven children. Somebody did a breakdown and that it came out at about €50,000 is what she would be entitled to. And I kind of knew the minute that I mentioned her name, somebody might point this out. She was back in the papers last uh, week because she appeared in court for stealing uh, €300 worth of clothes from a penny. Somebody sent me a link on in case I didn't see it. I did see it last week. I was kind of taken aback to think you would there's a lot of clothes you would get for 300 euro anyone who shops in pennies or if you have young teenage girls in particular love to shop in pennies because there's great value for money there might be some people might say it's the best of quality of clothes but the value you can get in there and I, I remember reading that story thinking 300 euro there's all the clothes out of pennies how would you even get that amount out anyway she got done for stealing 300 euro somebody said you would a lovely lady in a fine role model I'm sure you would agree uh, says a, a texter and somebody uh, Heidi says when you were talking about how much money that lady Margaret Cash uh, was getting 51,000 you failed to mention on top of that her husband or her partner I don't know wait, is she married or not anyway husband partner uh, was in jail how much was that costing the state so it wasn't just what she was getting by way of pension or social welfare contributions Okay, on uh, Peter Casey, Mossy in West Cork says regardless of if Peter Casey had pulled out of the contest or not, the fact that his name is going to be on the ballot paper, I would have voted for him regardless, says uh, Mossy. Pat says, Patricia, delighted to hear that Peter Casey is calling the welfare state for what it is. It's total honesty and truth, but it's not a vote getter for politicians to agree with him. Peter Casey is rich, but provides lots of jobs. He won't win the election, but wow, he has certainly opened opened up a truthful debate says Pat and John in Cork says Patricia Leo Varadkar's comments about violence likely to return to the north if a border is reintroduced has angered DUP's Sammy Wilson Simon Coveney has defended Leo's comments by saying it's important to be honest about this particular issue what's so different about Peter Casey's comment about travellers he was being honest and the government criticised him for it it seems that Leo doesn't want us to upset members of the travelling community. If that's the advice he's given the guard, the commissioner, no wonder rural Ireland is living in fear. And that is from John uh, in uh, Cork. Uh, 1853 and on a much lighter note by WhatsApp somebody says wasn't Eileen Buckley fantastic last night on the telly on the Daniel and Magella B&B road show yeah that programme was on again uh, last night John Paul said it's the third time it's it's been shown I missed it last night but it's a fabulous it's an abs- it's absolutely fabulous and you would watch Eileen and it would just make you smile I think that whole programme I mean the very idea of Daniel and Magella going around the country 
in a car going to different B&Bs on paper you kind of look and think oh, God, how is that programme ever going to work and then you look at it and you think it's just it's a fabulous little programme it was a terrific idea I think the chemistry between Daniel and Magella absolutely is what makes the programme work they're just so funny together but whether they had a hard sell initially getting the programme made I, and I don't know whether they had a hard sell to Daniel and Magella to say this will work but whoever came up with it it, it really was ingenious I, I always think another programme that I think I'm a huge fan of and I think it was ingenious is the programme Gogglebox I don't know how many people watch I watch both the Irish version of Gogglebox and the English version of Gogglebox but the first day that somebody went into a production company to say I have a great idea for a, a TV programme we're going to put cameras in people's houses on their TVs and we are going to film them watching TV and I'm sure somebody somewhere must have said really this is going to work and then it's become one of the most successful programmes on TV the simplest of things often uh, always are the best 1850 333103 lines open Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 now a young West Cork beauty therapist who happens to be a wheelchair user has been refused access to public transport in the area because of her disability. Sarah DeLay is from Dunmanway and she joins me to share her uh, story. Good morning to you, Sarah. Hi, Patricia. Thanks for talking to me. Uh, it, uh, it's our pleasure. We're arguing as to how you pronounce your surname, by the way. Is it DeLay? DeLay. Delay, yeah. Delay. Okay, let's get that out of the way first. Now, first thing, just so listeners can get a, a feel for you, explain why you are a wheelchair user. I've been born, I am born with spina bifida and hydrocephalus, so that kind of restricts me with my spine from walking, so I've been in a wheelchair all my life from birth. And having spina bifida, did it limit you in any way in training as a beauty therapist? Not really, no, because there's a way around everything, I feel, like when I'm doing facials or when I'm doing layers, there's a way of lowering tables. There's ways around everything. The only thing that ever restricts me is getting into places. I've been into salons that were too small or the work was just too tough for me with my back because I can't. I have a spinal rod in my back and it just restricts me from bending down or anything. But I usually kind of make the clients come up to me. The only problem really is transport because I can't get on the bus. Yeah, we need to get you to your place of work in order for yeah. you to, uh, to to do the work. And just out of interest, are there many people with spina bifida working as, as beauticians? No. Oh, well done you. Well done you. Now, you've set up your own business, which is Sarah's Art of Beauty. Is that a mobile service? Well, do you know what? It, with my back, because of my spine and stuff, I, only under a year I had the surgery. So right now I'm only kind of practising for fun on friends or anyone like that. Yeah. And I was working in the salon and it was just the expectations and the work because the hours were so long. I felt right now it was just too much for me. So maybe in time I will get back into it and maybe start my own business. And and when you say start your own business, would you like to have your own salon or would you like it to be where you where you go to the client? You like a mobile well, I go to the client. Yeah. Yeah, and preferably, like, I would like to go up to other people who are disabled and can go on wheelchairs because it is tough for everyone. I know myself to get out of the house every day and get into a salon and they're not big enough yeah. for places. 
Yeah, oh, even yeah. even thinking of some salons that I use or have used in the past, mm-hmm. a lot of them are very small. They are. And that's places there. Yeah, and that could be, that certainly is, it would be an issue for you. Now, you do drive. When did I you did. decide to look at public transport and, and why public transport? Because my car isn't completely adaptable. I have to get someone to help me get in and out of the car and he's waiting on someone and then it's taking out of their time and it's kind of hard on my back to be driving constantly because going around corners and stuff, I get a pain in my back if I'm driving for hours and hours and it would be just nice if I could take a break and just get on the bus and get to where I need to go. And it's the Route 236. This is between Bandon, Dunmanway and Cork. That's the yes. one that you have a problem with. It's simply... That's my bus. Yeah, bus. There's, um, it's every bus in West Cork isn't accessible. But every bus in the city is, though, isn't it? Every bus in the city is, but just West Cork is just the problem. The buses don't seem to be accessible, even though it says uh, on the, a sign on the side of the bus, it is wheelchair accessible. But every time I've spoken to someone in Bus Aaron, they deny it. And what's the problem with the bus? That they just can't. It's either they're not, I've been told they're not qualified enough to lower the ramp. There is, there is a ramp on the side. Yeah. And they're just not qualified enough to lower it. And I've been told by bus drivers, I've stood at the bus stop myself and asked them, directly can I get on the bus and ask can I ring ahead next time so I've done that and rang ahead and they tell me no it's completely not accessible for me and I've asked them why and I've not gotten a proper response and this even this whole thing of ringing ahead drives me mad when I hear of people having to do that with the I know one stage with the train people have to, had to ring ahead I mean it's public transport if, if know, you wake you up in the morning and decide I want to go somewhere I should be able to get on the bus and you should be able to get on the bus and you shouldn't have to ring ahead no, but as you say if even, I feel like I just need to like even for socially if I feel like I want to meet up with a friend in Bandon or in Cork City and it's just a completely out of the blue thing. I would love to be able to just get on the bus and go and not have to worry about right, I must get in my car. I have to think about parking, which is a whole other issue with the, with the same as Like, it's just nice to be able to get on the bus and I have to think about just get there and then just worry about getting on the bus to go home. And that's it. And you're saying that all the buses in West Cork, none of them are wheelchair accessible? No. And there's a, I've a loads of friends in West Cork who are wheelchair users and they have the same issue. Yeah, I was going to break it to you and say, Sarah, you're not the only person in a wheelchair <laughs> in West Cork. No, I'm not. And I feel so bad for my other friends because they've had to move up the cart and they'd rather just... It's nicer for them to just live a home if they want. They shouldn't have to feel that, oh, we have to move up to Cork City now because of it. And you sound like someone who is, you're, you're, you're 22, you're trying to be as independent as possible. Yeah, of course. I, I feel like I shouldn't fight for everything and feel like it's just, I feel completely discriminated to the whole thing of why I need to fight 
for everything going on. Life is tough enough as it is without it is. yeah without something like this been putting you. Tell me about the work you do at the Crane Centre. By the way, you're you're a volunteer. This is in Balancholic. Yeah, I did it just for a month in um, August for members and their parents because, as I said, they they can have the time to go into a salon or it's just not accessible for them. So what I did for the month was I voluntarily went up and it was completely free for them. And they just came in whenever they felt like it and got absolutely everything, nails, makeup, facials, whatever they wanted. And the Crane Centre, for those that don't know, it's, it's a facility that supports people with uh, spina bifida and hydrocephalus. Yeah. You, um, you must have been a great role model for, was there young girls there? There was, yeah, and I had loads of girls coming up to me that they felt like they, they wanted to do beauty work themselves. Yeah. And I've had loads of people ask me if they wanted to do the work, but colleges aren't completely accessible either. They, they wanted to go to um, College of Commerce, and I know that it's not completely accessible up to the nail room or the makeup room. So I went to this um, beauty place called American Beauty on Malfam Road. Yeah. And it was completely accessible to me. At the time, it was upstairs, but they had a wheelchair lift for me. And now they're after moving to a different premises where it's completely on the ground floor. So anyone who's been interested, I've been sending them there. Because over the years, there's been so much work done with building and planning around making all... Mm-hmm. New, uh, certainly new bills all have to be made wheelchair accessible. Is is it getting better, Sarah? It's trying to get... Like, I moved into town, uh, in the Manway town a year ago. I was living outside in the countryside and I was trying to get the footpath started and it's only taken me now to actually get them started and I'm still trying to get... I have to wheel up a, up a laneway to the bus stop and it's all cracked up so I'm trying to start that out as well so I don't fall out of my wheelchair or anyone else and it's for buggies and stuff as well it's just hard to get around It's just dips it dips in the pavement is what you need isn't it? Yeah and it's just a constant fight all <sighs> the time it's ridiculous God, it ain't rocket science, guys. It really, it really isn't. And it's the difference between you going out as a confident young woman, not in fear that you're going to come off the footpath, and also that you're able to go out and know that you can get off the footpath when you need to get off it. It's, it, it's that's, it's the difference between giving you your independence and taking it away, from, away Absolutely, from you. Absolutely, yeah. It's just completely taking away my confidence. I nearly feel like I should be staying at home the whole time and not going out. And are you living on your own, Sarah? No, I live with my parents. You live with your parents, okay. Yeah. All right, but you're in you're in Dunmanway Town. I'm in Dunmanway Town, yes. Okay, and are you busy work-wise? Are you, are you getting clients? Are you building up a client base? I just have really just friends and family at the moment because, as I said, the work at the moment with my back the way it is is just a bit tough. I know. So I'm just kind of taking it easy and just doing it as for fun at the moment. 
OK, well, let us know when you're up and running and we'll certainly give you a plug because Maura has been on to say, Trish, that girl, Sarah, is one amazing person. And wow, can she do makeup? She is gifted. I met and saw her working in Crane and Balancolic. Uh, it's a shame that she cannot get to work on public uh, transport, says uh, Maura. So well done. You are a gifted beautician as well. And that is good to hear. Listen, keep fighting the good fight. You're an amazing, you're an amazing young girl and you're doing it for others as well. I really because, Yeah, because not everyone's as, as articulate as you are. So well done to you. Well done. Pleasure to talk to you, Sarah. Thank you so much. God bless. Look after yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. What a lovely young woman, Sarah Dunley from Dunman Way and come on bus air and make wheelchair buses accessible for her please and also would you ever the council fix out the fix the footpaths in her area so she doesn't come a cropper and come off the footpath when she wants to go out and, and be an independent young woman that any 22 year old would want to be and by WhatsApp but yet another service for people living in rural Ireland that are let down listening to Sarah uh, talk about her wheelchair and not being accessible on transport the list goes on and on if you are living in rural Ireland and by the way we are getting on to Bus Aaron uh, to put forward Sarah's comments and try to hopefully have an answer from them before the close of the programme. Now it's always great to bring some good news especially on a Monday. So listeners who take out health insurance will be pleased to hear that fresh cuts in the cost of health insurance are set to see families save hundreds of euro across next year. Dermot Good of TotalHealthCover.ie uh, joins me. Good morning to you Dermot. Good morning Patricia. Now Dermot there's been a number of reductions in the last year. Why are we seeing these reductions? Yeah, well, well, obviously, look, it's, it's good news for all consumers. Um, a few reasons why this is happening. Uh, the first thing is, look, there is increased competition in the market now, which is great. Um, Irish Life recently took over Aviva Health and Flow Health, and uh, they're really trying to make inroads uh, for their customers, their new and existing customers, which is good. Also, the public hospital charges, which normally are increased each year and get passed on to us, that didn't happen uh, this January, which was good. And the health insurance levies, were also, and uh, they were held, uh, let's just say, at last last year's rate as well. And once the insurance companies know that there's no shocks coming their way, they tend to then that gives them certainty in pricing, and it means that they're they're more liable, let's just say, to pass on on reductions. The other thing, Patricia, which you and I've discussed in the past, you know, these public hospital charges that are being, uh, in other words, where people with health insurance are being asked to sign forms. Um, for no extra treatment in many cases and if they sign those forms their insurance company pays 10 times what they should normally be charged many consumers thanks to shows like yours and others they're not signing those forms which is good news and all the insurance companies have basically uh, well they briefed me on this and they've all said that they're paying out less this year than what they budgeted to pay out and obviously now they're passing that back to consumers by way of discounts So, so that's some of the reasons why that's good. That, that is good. And when one company announces a cut, the others follow suit. It's a very competitive market, isn't it? Exactly. And, and that's what we've seen each time. So VHI has cut their rates, um, three small cuts since November of last year. Leia Healthcare responded, Irish Life responded a number of times. And we now see Irish Life, I suppose, <coughs> I beg your pardon, thrown down the gauntlet to the insurance companies um, on some of their already very competitive corporate plans. Um, such as Health Plan 16.1, BFIT 2 and Health Plan 13. They're reducing the cost of those plans now again by approximately 6-7%. And uh, that, uh, that decrease is being introduced from the 1st of November, uh, which is good news for their members. But what we're likely to see then is a corresponding, let's just say, reaction from the other insurance companies 
So the price war that we've spoken about during the year, it looks like that's set to continue right to the end of the year. And we're now approaching the peak renewal period. Now, there's a couple of things that your listeners need to be very careful of here, um, Patricia. What's going to happen is that a lot of people are going to do nothing, and which, is, which is a huge risk here. So a lot of older people who are on the most expensive plans, and anybody who's paying more than €1,800 Euro per adult, they need to have their cover looked at. But a lot of older people are going to see a reduction of maybe 20 or 30 euro in their premium. And they'll, they'll take that as good news, which it is, but then they'll do nothing. They won't review mm-hmm. their cover. And that's what the insurance companies want them to do. And so if you see a small discount coming through in your plan or a small refund, if you're still paying too much, if you're paying more than 1,800 euro per adult, if you haven't reviewed your cover in the last three years, or if you've never looked at corporate plans or taking on a small excess, then, uh, Patricia, people need... They need to review their cover. They instead of saving thirty euro, they could be saving six hundred and fifty euro each. The other risk here, Patricia, as well, is that thousands of your listeners will be due to renew on the first of January. It is the worst time of the year to have your policy renewing. What we would say to those people: don't leave it till the middle of December to start reviewing your cover because you won't get you won't get through to the insurance company. Yeah, yeah. Do it in the middle of November. Do it well ahead of of the rush and get your cover sorted because. In the middle of November, you know, we'll know exactly what rates will be in the market from the 1st of January, as will the insurance company. So get it done and dusted by the first week in December, and then you can, you can enjoy Christmas and enjoy the New Year's. A lot of people get a shock in the middle of January when they, they've forgotten to do it, and they see the next deduction going through their account, and it's too late to change now. And they're now locked in into an old, overly expensive plan for another year. Yeah, and certainly I know I took that advice uh, last year and something I didn't know until I did an interview with you here in the programme uh, was, and it's good advice for family with children, you can split the cover. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there's loads of little tactics that, tactics that can be employed. Um, like, for example, just, just to give your listeners an example of some of the deals that are out there right now, a lot of people are still on the old Plan B options, 2,300, or the old Irish Life Level 2 Hospital, 2,600. Or the old layer plan, like for example, their total health select, which is two thousand one hundred and twenty-five euro. Patricia, there's fantastic plans on the market now that are available for about fifteen, sixteen hundred euro, and in many cases they give you better cover than some of those plans I just mentioned. So, for example, you know, three plans, one from each provider, the layer complete simplicity, excellent cover, sixteen hundred euro. The VHI company plan extra level one is also excellent cover. And the new Irish Life 4D health plans are also excellent plans. The 4D health four is €1,466. Now, in many cases, those plans I just mentioned, in many cases, they will give you extra benefits not available on the previous ones, yet they're all six to €700 Euro less expensive per adult. Well, people sometimes think, oh, well, I'm not going to bother for the sake of €50 or €60. Euro. We're not talking about that type of money now. And you can also... You, exactly as you said, splitting your cover, you, you can have everybody on the policy all on different plans to suit their needs. So, you know, Mr. Murphy might want a private room, Mrs. Murphy might be very happy in a semi-private room, no problem whatsoever, and then put the children on plans maybe that might be on a special offer. So that's what people should do. Once again, only pay what you have to pay. It's dear enough, and a lot of people are throwing savings away simply because they don't review their cover properly. And any of your older listeners now, Patricia, might be listening to this thinking, this is just too much hassle and I cannot take any chances with my cover. But you won't really be taking chances if you do this properly. And get a trusted neighbour or a sibling or a friend who's well up on this stuff and who has the patience and knows what questions to ask. Get them to do it for you. You'd be surprised at the savings you can make.
When you're talking about nobody should be paying more than 1800 a listener says, could you ask Dermot, please, does that include tax rebate, the 1800 oh, Every rate I've quoted there now, that is the rate after tax. So every premium that you get quoted by the insurance companies when you're buying cover or renewing cover, ignore the gross premium. The net premium is the figure that matters. That's the, that's the figure after tax. But Patricia, the tax leave is, is minuscule now. I mean, no matter what premium you're paying, the most you'll get now is €200 Euro per adult. So, for example, when I mentioned Plan B options, which is now called Health Plus Extra, that plan is 2316. That's after tax relief. The gross cost is 2516. But even a 2316, that's still way too expensive relative to other plans that are out there from VHI and from the other insurance companies. I mean, just to give an example, for any of your, let's just say, listeners who are you know paying around 1300 euro, the best corporate plans in the market right now at that level. So the VHI, VHI have a plan called PMI 3613, super cover 1240. Irish Life have an excellent plan, their new 4D Health 2, which is €1,213. And that plan, by the way, uh, comes with free travel insurance if you're interested. And Leia have their uh, their Simply Connect Plus scheme at 1250 Now, each of those three plans will cover you up to a semi-private room in every private hospital in the country. And they'll also give you money back on all your routine expenses with no excess to pay. Well, what are the types of plans that people that, need to be looking OK, at? listen to this one. A listener says, we got €50 Euro paid into our bank account from VHI as a bonus. We paid 3865 per year for two adults aged 69. We're on the Health Plus access. Is that too much? Well, it, well, it is. In most cases, it is. Now, all that, just be very careful. There was no bonus paid by VHI at all. All they did was they gave people €50 Euro into their bank account if they paid their premium by direct debit. So it was a one-off oh, payment. Okay. So, okay. That's a, so people need to be very careful now. This money back that people got from VHI was to do with signing up for direct debit and signing up to get your documentation um, by email rather than by paper. That is done and dusted. So okay. if your renewal is coming up now, uh, ignore that. That is redundant. You still need to, you, you see, you, and you need to check every single time, review, every single year. Okay, Dermot, yeah, I could talk to you all day. We will no doubt talk again before the close of the year, but thank you for that. Not and thanks uh, for joining us. Bye-bye. Uh, and I would direct people to Dermot's excellent website if you want more information, totalhealthcover.ie. We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. We speak with that young mum about her son who is feeling uh, suicidal in the next hour. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. On health insurance, texter Patricia, I was paying €2,600 a year to Leia and now pay €2,000 a year for both my wife and myself for health insurance cover. €60 is better off in my pocket. Absolutely. And that's the one advice that Dermot Good says every single year you need to review your health insurance. It can be a bit of a pain in the butt, I have to say. I normally try and set aside an afternoon to do it because you need to either get online and start comparing because there's just so many different plans. Why do they make it so goddamn confusing? But if you put the time in, you definitely can. You definitely can uh, save uh, money. That's uh, for sure. So well done to you. As you say, 60 euro in your, ba- your pocket, better off with you you're in your pocket then with the health insurer and thank you to Mary who sends in a lovely text to say thanks for the tickets for photo for my my daughters and grandchildren went and they had a brilliant time and thank
thank you to everybody in Fota. That's a spooky photo that's going on for Halloween and it seems like a great bit of fun. Before I get to some of your comments, can I just play a little piece that John Paul, now I haven't, I haven't heard the edited version, John Paul has had to do a bit of editing on this. This is to do with a, a Ryanair passenger that sparked outrage online over the weekend when this man was, he was filmed by a fellow passenger racially abusing an elderly black lady. Now, if I can, I'll play out a little bit of it just for those of you. I'm assuming if you were on the internet over the weekend, I'm assuming you would have seen it because uh, tens of thousands of times this particular video clip was viewed and was shared over the weekend. Just to set the, 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 the backdrop to the story, it seems that this elderly lady suffers with arthritis. So I'm assuming she maybe she got a little bit of help getting onto the plane first. She was sitting in an aisle seat when this man got on. Now, seemingly, he got on and she obviously, because she suffers with arthritis, took some time to stand up to allow him he had the window seat. So obviously that's what started it and that's what sparked this man to go into such a bad mood. So the piece that's videotaped and the piece that everybody saw on the internet over the weekend is this man sitting in at the window seat. The seat in the middle is free and then this elderly lady is sitting in the aisle seat and this man is verbally abusing this lady. I mean it is a torrent of uh, abuse and he says some of the most he uses some of the most foul-mouthed language that obviously I can't even repeat here. I mean, he uses the awful C word, which I absolutely can't stand. So a lot of the language, and, and I'm assuming John Paul has done a bit of bleeping on this because he uses the F word uh, quite, quite a lot. But just take a listen. This is filmed on somebody else's camera who was sitting two rows in front of what was unfolding between this obnoxious man to this elderly black lady. I'll tell you this, if you don't go to another seat, I'll push you to another seat. Don't talk to me in a f***ing foreign language, you stupid ugly cow. I will carry on. There's no other can with this ugly black Stop. No need for that at all. Just stop. It's really easy. Stop. 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 Yeah, and I think the man saying throw him off the flight, get rid of him. I think that was the gentleman who was actually filming the piece. But when you heard somebody say stop, there's no need for that. That's actually a man, a young man who was sitting in the middle seat in the row behind. He stood up to have a go at this man to say stop and almost was putting his hands in over because I think he was fearful that this man was going to lash out at this elderly woman. Now, in the end, uh, how it all panned out, a flight attendant came down uh, and they said to the woman, will we move you? And that's where you heard that the uh, abuser uh, shout, well, if you don't go to another seat, I'll push you to another seat. Because initially she was sticking to her guns going, no, this is my seat, I'm going to sit here. But then she got obviously a bit upset and said, yeah, I want to go sit with uh, my daughter. So they were arranging then to, to move her and they did move her. But what has sparked, I think, the most outrage is the fact that that man wasn't thrown off the, off the plane. He wasn't removed from the plane. Now, it 
and I know how it will get defended in removing a man from, from a flight like that is going to cause delay to other passengers and delay to the flight, etc. But I mean, he was just so racially abusive and so aggressive to an elderly woman. It was just absolutely uh, shocking. My real sadness watching it was that more passengers on the plane didn't jump up and start to attack this man. I mean, he was an odious, obnoxious man. I would just, my blood boiled when I saw it. I, I know, I can tell you now, I know I would have been out of my seat and I would have been in his face, probably to the point that they would have had to remove me from the plane. It was just horrible to see what was being done to this elderly lady. Absolutely shocking. It's on a Ryanair flight. It was from Barcelona to uh, London. And obviously the guy who videotaped it uh, put um, put uh, put it up on uh, line. And the Essex police... Um, a spokesperson, this is, I'm reading this from the Irish Independent, a spokesperson for, the, for Ryanair says, we have re- reported this incident to the police in Essex and it's now a police matter. We cannot comment further. A spokesperson for Essex Police says, this incident is believed to have taken place in the plane. We're working closely with Ryanair and the Spanish authorities because it's it was the Ryanair flight from Barcelona to London. So it would have been in Barcelona. So it would be Spanish authorities rather than English authorities. Anyway, shocking, shocking. If, as I say, if you got to see it over the weekend, I'd be interested in your thoughts uh, on it. Some of your comments coming into the programme. I need to ask you something, please, says the texter. When you vote on Friday, can can we just vote on the presidential election if we don't want to vote yes or no to the blasphemy referendum that's happening? Can we just vote in the presidential election or would that be a spoilt uh, vote? No, you're going to get, when you go in, you'll get two separate ballot papers. You'll get a ballot paper for the presidential election and then you'll get a ballot paper for the referendum. Now, I don't know, and I, I'll get this checked and I might get John Paul to check this. I don't know if you can refuse. You can just go in and say, I only want to vote in the presidential election. No, I don't want to vote in the referendum. I'll get that checked to see if you're allowed to do that. But even if you're not or if you don't want to draw attention to the fact that you don't want to vote in the referendum when they when they hand you the referendum um, ballot paper you can just fold it over and not put yes or no uh, into it i have seen that happen before when people are simply haven't made their mind up and don't want to vote one way or the other other people will actually write on it which is a spoiled vote anyway it's the same thing as uh, not voting but no you can go in and just vote in the presidential election and it won't spoil the vote because they're too spoil your vote because they're two separate uh, ballot papers let me stay on the presidential election Sandy says Peter Casey reflects the attitude of my cousins who are staunch Fine Gael supporters and they actually are election activists in another county uh, in the, um, somewhere else in this country. I wonder how far out what he is saying is from the view of mainline politicians, including Labour Party, despite what they may actually say in public. I heard Joan Bruton, for example, who is an accountant, allegedly draws number twos and number threes from Fine Gael supporters in her constituency and she's a member of the Labour Party. It would explain her pension cuts to stay-at-home mothers says Sandy. That's due to be reversed though they are still working on that and people should be getting letters out about that so hopefully that is going to uh, get sorted. And someone else says by text Regina Doherty this is when Regina Doherty came out giving out about what Peter Casey had to say about the welfare, that this is a welfare state. Regina Doherty is inappropriate to endorse support 
of Michael D. Higgins, one candidate over the other. Her comments and derogatory remarks around Peter Casey this morning highlight her immaturity. Not so long ago, this government had a campaign asking people to report social welfare fraud. Leo Varadkar was Social Welfare Minister at the time and he also promoted the campaign. Now it's considered ignorance if Peter Casey comments and points out that people are abusing the social welfare system, which is a good, good analogy and a good uh, point to make. Uh, thank you for that. And some calls into John Paul, if I can see where we're going with the, uh, John Paul. Joan in Kilbritton says it is a welfare state and it's the best welfare state in uh, Europe, says uh, John. Sorry, not Joan, John in Kilbritton. And somebody else says, I'm disgusted to see Peter Casey still in the race. At the end of the day, what he said about the travelling community last week was racist. And now this week he's deciding to pick on people on social welfare who will it be next week? Well, I can tell you, he can. Who will it be next week? We won't be. We'll, we'll have our president elected by next week, and I don't think it's going to be Peter Casey. But it will be interest. I'm really will be interested to see when the votes come in next week. You know, while a lot of people are saying he's speaking for the silent minority, if it is the silent minority, it should be reflected in his vote. Only time will tell. C103 jobs. Qualified three surgeons are required for immediate uh, start, while ground workers and machine operators are required. You must have manual handling and safe pass completed. And a part-time sales assistant is required in a bathroom and tile showroom. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Now, solicitors for Friends of the Irish Environment have written to the OPW threatening legal action unless it halts in river work on the Bandon River. It's all part of the 16 million euro flood defence project. Directors, director of Friends of the Irish Environment, Tony Lowes, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Tony, for people outside of the area, just outline the type of work that is ongoing on and in the River Bandon. The, the, the project for the River Bandon, I think, covers actually three kilometres. It's a very extensive uh, engineering works, which included the removal of the weir and the building of a fish pass, as well as the reinforcing all the banks with rock armour and uh, applying the traditional engineering answer to flooding which in our mind is not the right way to go, beginning with uh, the the whole approach to it. Uh, What happened here, however, was many environmental conditions were put in place, obviously, because it's a very disruptive activity. And the work should have finished by the 31st of September in order to protect the salmon and the other uh, fish that that, uh, move up the river at this time of year. But it didn't. It went on and on and on. And we uh, finally went uh, to uh, the the, uh, contractors and to the department and and said that, that, you know, it wasn't sustainable that they should be in the river at this late date. Now, I know the OPW has said the reason that the in-stream works have been extended this year is due to exceptionally low flood conditions. Is that yes. justification? Yes, we kind of look. If you look at the rainfall records, obviously, and if you have uh, memories of our summer, it was in many places very dry, particularly in June. 
But uh, if there was problems, and if they did feel that they had to stop work because it was too dry, then there's a procedure open to them where they notify, and this is assessed, because you would have to weigh the damage that's done by going on when it's dry against the damage that occurs if you go on after the 31st of September. And that was never done. A kind of cavalier approach was taken where they could rewrite their own planning permission. You and I wouldn't be allowed to do that, and we don't think the OPW should either. And they're now saying that the extended works uh, will continue until mid-November. No, they've actually written to us saying that they will be out of the water by uh, last Friday evening. Now, there are arguments going on as we speak uh, about a particular problem that's that's occurred with the, uh, the Bridewell River, where unless they're allowed to to complete that uh, entrance there, there could be uh, a serious environmental damage. So they're they're looking for permission to actually complete that piece of work and to complete uh, a, a strut on the bridge there. So that's under negotiations. But all of this should have been done in June. So are they out of the water then? Well, they seem to say they're out of the water. But uh, I, I'd say people in Bandon could have a look outside there. Oh, uh, they, well, they, talking they, to people, they, we have somebody in Bandon on the other line, they, and they, it's, they, uh, they, it's Councillor Gillian Crowley, so just stay there. Yeah. Uh, good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning, Patricia. Are they out of the water, or are they still in the water? They are out of the water, Patricia. They have constructed platforms on the pier of the bridge um, on the southern bank and over at the uh, footbridge, and they're working from the banks of the river on those platforms that they have created. Okay, that's good news, Tony. It's excellent news. No, we're really actually very pleased that they responded in the way they did. And obviously, you know, we're going to have to look at these last outstanding issues. The on-land works, I think they have uh, said to us that they will be finished by the 15th of November. But obviously, they're not quite as critical, provided that no siltation gets into the river and no further obstacles are put for the fish, fish, fish passages. And the fish pass is um, up and running now, isn't it, Gillian? It is operational. It is operational, Patricia, yes, since um, last Thursday evening. I think it was a credit um, to Will's Brothers. Um, it, it really, I think, it would have bed in very well. There was huge crowds on the um, bridge during the weekend to look at it. And I think it is a, a thing of, of great beauty. And um, I think that while the, the comments that were there earlier on in the year, you know, the whale pass and whatnot, I think once we see this now in operation, it's much more um, attractive. And I suppose while I am very concerned about the environment as well and, and you know, wanted to be protected, I'm, I am interested to think that nobody has stood up for the residents who have been so patient over the last two years listening to all of this um, noise and debris and dust. And um, I think that, it's, you know, it's more important that we consider the, those residents. And I am looking forward to the time when um, we will we'll be out of the out of the banks as well because these residents have put up with severe disruption, um, noise, you know, heavy plants working um, day and night. Now, I'm absolutely wholeheartedly in favour of the work, as you know, I think that it's crucial for the future of Bandon. But I would like to pay tribute to both the workers who have done such an important and and professional job, but particularly to the residents of Bandon, Watergate Street, all along the Maxine Quay there and in the apartments um, facing the river. They have suffered hugely. And I think it's disingenuous to be maybe threatening legal action on behalf of the environment when people have been so patient, hundreds of residents have 
you know, with small children, with elderly residents, have um, been prepared to listen to that, knowing that it's for the best for the future of Bandon. And while, as I say, I'm very concerned for the, for the environment and I want the right thing done, I think that it was crucial, considering the exceptional um, climactic conditions we had during the summer. You know, men in those machines, in the searing heat, digging, mm. Um, you know, they, they suffered greatly as well. And also, um, let's not forget, there was an unforeseen incident with Creosote from the former railway um, station there in, on the bank of the river. And that had to be dealt with. So I think that the contractors and Cork County Council and the OPW have dealt with this situation very, very responsibly. And I'm really pleased that common sense has prevailed and that the extension, the derogation um, to the river works was granted that they were allowed to con- continue to work within the river to finish the fish pass and not to draw it into next year again. You know, sometimes I think, um, while of course the laws to protect the environment must be strong and must be upheld, sometimes common sense prevails and a balance must be struck between the interests of the people uh, living in the community and the environment. And I have no doubt that the environment will bed back into Bandon. And indeed, with that fish pass, we will have so many fish now um, passing up the stream to spawn. We will indeed have a, a very flourishing fish environment coming back down into the Bandon River. And I look forward to the time when fishing tourism um, will be, and, and as an endeavour and as a recreational activity will be an important part of the um, social life and the recreational life of Bandon. I actually saw a photograph of the fish pass. It, it, it does look fantastic, I have to say. Um, Tony, I mean, listening to Gillian, and, and you don't want it to be, you know, nature versus or fish versus humans or, or anything like that. But, you know, she does make a lot of sense and common sense does have to prevail. Well, I think we're both agreed about that. But I think what Gillian has done is made our case for us. Our case is that these hard engineering solutions cause enormous disruption, cost huge amounts of money do all the uh, the nuisances that she suggested to the residents as well as the damage to the environment, modern thinking doesn't go for these hard engineering solutions. What we have to do is ensure that the countryside itself, the kind of forest we plant, the kind of way we manage our land, ensures that there is room to attenuate floods so that we don't have these urban flooding. Because putting in these kind of projects, as, as, as Julian's just demonstrated, is enormously disruptive. Yeah, but for the people whose homes and business have been flooded, um, Tony, they, you know, they they will ultimately get relief and be able to sleep in their beds when there's a, a heavy rainstorm, not can, living in fear that their houses are going to flood. We, we can give that security. We can do the same thing, only we do it by what's called soft engineering instead of hard engineering. And ultimately, this is going to be the answer, because ultimately the flooding is going to get worse. Our rainfalls are going to become more frequent and more intense. And how long is the state going to be able to pay for every village, every town, every flood in Ireland? It's not practical. Gillian, you would disagree on the soft engineering approach, would you? Well, I I wouldn't insofar as if we were talking maybe 70 years ago, it would be something that we could put in place. However, you know, um, the way in which Bandon Town in particular has developed, I don't think that soft engineering could um, ha- could save it now. However, I do agree insofar as other watercourses, small watercourses right across the country, I think as, as a policy we should, um, as a country, begin to look at our watercourses um, and to begin to protect them and to protect the communities that live on them. And yes, I would agree that, you know, um, planting trees, planting reeds, to, um, to soak up some of the, and, and allowing bog lands and 
flood um, plains to exist is very, very important. We in Bandon, um, you know, have had, had not done that, unfortunately, and boglands that were traditionally there to soak up floodwaters were developed. Mm. Um, and now this this work is part of the of the work that has to be done. I think I, I don't think that any soft engineering could have mitigated against the, you know, feet of floods that we saw in in Bandon. Um, in 2009 and subsequently. No amount of soft engineering, in my opinion, um, would have mitigated against that. But I do agree that, you know, going forward and as a policy and as an environmental policy and as a strategic and sustainable management policy for this country, we should be looking at that and that um, riverbanks need to be protected and particularly floodplains need to be protected. We have to stop building on floodplains, that's that's for sure. Mm-hmm. OK, so Tony, your, your threat of legal action, has that been withdrawn now? That's actually with our, there's a solicitor's meeting in Dublin at the moment to, to examine this latest response from okay. OPW. But let's hope that uh, the matter resolves itself and we can look to the future in the way that's just been outlined so well. Okay. All right, uh, Tony, we leave it there. And Gillian, thank you both for joining us and talking to us on the programme. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Tony Lowes, who is Director of Friends of the Irish Environment and local Bandon-based uh, councillor uh, Gillian uh, Coughlin. 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text her WhatsApp 86 I played out that piece from the Ryanair flight, the racist comments and the verbal abuse that uh, from that man we don't have a name on the man even though he's been very clearly identified by the photographs which are on all of the papers and are also uh, were all over social media at the weekend and I was wondering why you know well everyone's sort of wondering why Ryanair didn't kick him off the flight and why police didn't come on and remove him from the flight and what should have happened and Essex police are investigating it because they've had uh, somebody has reported it and they are investigating it um, uh, Texter says, as far as I'm aware, there is no law to deal with this as it happened on the ground, not in flight. Air Rage Laws deals with in-flight issues. Ryanair could have tried to remove him, but that would have delayed takeoff. He would not be regarded as a danger due to his age, more of a nuisance. Ryanair would most likely ban him from their aircraft. Well, yeah, well, I, I suppose what annoyed people over the weekend was the fact that it was the woman had to be moved and this man remained in, in his seat. And it's almost like he got away with it. It is almost he can do, you know, he was able to say this. So he he getting off the plane, I can speak to anybody, you know, that I dislike just because this elderly black woman wasn't able to get out of her seat quick enough. I can racially uh, abuse her. That I hope something is done. And maybe that is the answer. Maybe Ryanair identifying this man, they're going to they're going to know exactly who he is because they've got his his seat number. So they'll have his name and all of his contact uh, details. And maybe ultimately that's what will happen. They'll ban him uh, from there from any future air travel with them. We will we will wait and see. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, at the weekend, the Irish Sun newspaper carried a piece about a young Mallow mother who was pleading with the health service to give her 10-year-old son the help he needs. Uh, This little 10-year-old boy is suicidal and his mother, Jennifer Hurley, joins me in studio to highlight his story in the hope of getting the help he requires. Good morning to you, Jennifer. And uh, you're very welcome. I actually, even when I see it in in print, and, and I actually wrote it, it's very hard to look at a sentence of a 10-year-old boy being being suicidal. It's hard to live with a 10-year-old boy that's suicidal. It's shocking. Sean is on the autistic spectrum. He's got Asperger's. OK, so let's start at the beginning. When did you first start to notice that something was wrong? 
I didn't notice that something was wrong. It was just going brought it to my attention. I didn't, I honestly didn't know anything about Asperger's, autism, nothing like that, you know. I, I never knew anything was wrong with him. He was your first child? My first son. I was 19 having him. What was he like as a, as, as, as a younger little boy? Was he very chatty? Was he very outgoing? No, he was never, I suppose he was never very outgoing, but he was he was sociable enough, yeah. You know, he was like, I, I think, I guess I thought he was sociable enough. He always, he was around adults. I lived in my mother's when I had him. And, like, he was around my mum, my dad, my younger brother. So, like, we were just, I suppose we were just used to him. Yeah, you know? yeah. We accepted Sean as Sean. Well, no, I still accept Sean as Sean, don't get me wrong, but at the time it was, it was just you Sean You noticed Sean. no difference? No. No. Then he started school. He did. And school? Preschool. Preschool. And, um, and somebody said to you? In preschool they didn't, but he was having an awful lot of issues in preschool. Again, nothing rang rang alarms in my head he was just a child you know and because he was an only child I was saying he's spoiled you know mm-hmm. without sounding bad towards him but that's what I was thinking he's yeah. spoiled he's not getting his own way he's not getting the star and you know and he's just getting louder and louder he used to go from the sitting room where there was wooden floors into the kitchen and bang his head on the tiles to make it I, I thought it was just to make a louder impact to be heard better and so that I'd run to his age straight away and do get what he wanted when he wanted it you know I I, I didn't understand 100% I didn't understand that that was self-harming and a meltdown but you just I didn't know yeah I genuinely yeah. did not know and nobody else kind of said to me here you know there could be an issue here yeah he got into junior infants and it was his teacher in junior infants she's now my daughter's teacher she kind of said to me look I, I think assessment an assessment of needs needs to be done and I was okay. saying what is that never heard of it yeah. you know but we got there. I went down to the GP, and the GP sent off a referral, and you know it was done. And he got his assessment need because before he was six, it had to be done or something yeah, the way it was yeah, explained at the time. Yeah. I'm not sure what way it works now. Yeah. Um. So it was done quick, and it was Saint Joseph's Foundation gave me the diagnosis. Of and you and you were. Can you remember that day? Can you remember? Did you understand what was being said to you? Did you? No, I didn't. I I done the wrong thing before he was diagnosed. Uh, he was diagnosed. And if we'd fill out farms and everything, that was fine. And before he was diagnosed, I was after watching Rain Man. And I, oh, I totally yeah. done the wrong thing, didn't understand it. I, yeah. It was just, I suppose it was me trying to get some clarification. I was saying, sure, he's not like Rain Man. I know I sound really stupid saying it, but, no. it, it, you know. And when I went in, and the women inside in St. Joseph's Foundation was where he's linked in with, with his um, ASD services. They said, no, it's not like Rain Man, he's more like... Sheldon Cooper, if you watch the Big Bang Theory, yeah, and I was like, oh, well, do you know what? That's good. Yeah, okay, I no no problem, do you know. Yeah. But I remember going home and doing my research that day because I was given Tony Atterwood, um, the name to look up and look at that, and I got a book, uh, Asperger's for Dummies. I again, I didn't have a clue, do you know. Yeah. Um, was looking up all that, read everything, looked on Google, was googling symptoms and signs and that, but I co- I actually couldn't say the word autism at the time. I couldn't say it. Like, I always thought if I had when I had a son, he was going to be a footballer, he was going to be this, he was going to be joining all the clubs, he'd be in hurling clubs, you know, and then to be kind of told, well, no, that's not going to be the case. His future is going to be different. It is going to be totally different, you know. And it's not that, I'm not saying that he's not going to be successful. I hope to God he will be successful. Like, like there is plenty of success stories, but there's also a lot of success, like, there's also a lot of stories that aren't successful, mm. you know, and that and that's the worry as well. And it's that dream, isn't it, that's taken away from... As a mother, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and listen, you're not the first mother to sit opposite me and and say that very same thing. It's probably the hardest part of it. But then, you know, the future is just going to be different. Yeah, and you take it day by day. And, you know, they're still your son. So early on, you were coping, everything was okay. Yep. 
when was the turn? When did things start to deteriorate for Sean? I suppose when Sean was eight, looking back on it now, I, I suppose it hasn't came to light up until now really when I'm thinking back. Um, he came to me one day, we were sitting and we were having a cup of tea and he just said, Mum, I want to die and I don't know how. And what I done was I got a piece of paper because his visual, visuals and I kind of done a thinking box for all the world and said, look, look at everything that's great in your life. Name out these things that are good in your life. What are you good at? Your strengths and same with them. What's bad in your life? And I, I showed him good outweighs the bad. And he went to bed that night. And I, I honestly thought no more about it. You know, I said, right, that's that dealt with. You know, I know I voiced it. I have voiced it. I went to the GP. I said to the GP, you know, and it was a referral to CAMS and Again, it was like he was he was with Cam's um, two years ago. Again, when he was eight, um, but they said, look, a lot of it is down to his ASD. So you know, we we let him go. But things then just came back out again and got worse. And, and my fear is things are going to get worse, and he's going to be. That's, he, I don't know if he's going to make it. You know. Tell me the incident where he tried to throw himself under a car. He was going to Taekwondo. He didn't want to go to Taekwondo. It was it was, a build, it was building up to his triggers anyway. But I was in the library and I was doing his um, a visual book, laminating books. I was getting things printed off because he was recently diagnosed with a sensory processing disorder. So I was saying less talk. So the motto at home at the moment is less stress, more success. So I was doing a sensory book and to show him, like if I wanted to get on your shoes, there's a picture of shoes, he got on show Sean shoes. And he just look at the book. If if I don't have to talk to him, he doesn't have to process so much. Do you know? Okay. I was already after explaining all this to him, but he was actually with my partner. I was in the library printing off, and my partner said that he'd bring him to Taekwondo. And my partner came back, and he said to me, "You know, he tried to throw himself out in front of the car." My first thought was, to, "Thank God he didn't succeed. Is he okay? He's in Taekwondo. He was in Taekwondo. He wouldn't wear his uniform going into Taekwondo. He was screaming because he was hungry. He was screaming because he was thirsty. He was after, obviously after being fed. Do you know?" And he came out of Taekwondo and I was speaking, I said, Sean, you can't, you know, I said, Sean, you can't be doing things like this, you know, and he said, well, I don't want to live, ma'am. Do, and does he realise what death is? Do, I mean, does he realise? Oh, he does. I, yeah. had, I actually had a conversation with him. He asked me on Saturday, why is it so important to him? Why is it so important to me, sorry, that, I, that he lives? And I said, Sean, I love you. I need you to live. And he, he taught me that I was selfish because I want him to live an unhappy life. My God. I, I can't even begin to imagine what is going on in your head when you go to bed at night. I don't even have time to think about my head. My worry is what's going on in his head and how do we use the right language to explain to him how important he is. But I don't think anybody keep telling him, like people keep telling him you're important, you're loved. It's not enough for him because he doesn't feel it. He doesn't love himself. Do you know, he doesn't love his life. life is, his life is nothing to him, do you know. And like, even when he caught me selfish on Saturday because I wanted him to live, like... That rectified that for, it was justifying it for him yourself as you want me to live but I don't want to live what am I living for you know? and he has been under CAMS which is the, the, the child and adolescent uh, mental health uh, services what are they saying to you no, honestly not much it was medicine he went in last week and he was given medicine coming home do you know it's 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 just been fobbed off I feel like his suicidal thoughts, his suicide, like even being vocal about wanting to be so sui- wanting to commit suicide, is just being fobbed off. But I don't think people are realizing that there is children committing suicide, and it should just be accepted as an everyday thing. It's not acceptable, you mm-hmm. know. No mother or father should have to bury their child. Absolutely, absolutely. Is the medication helping? 
I had to take him off to Resperidone. It's an antipsychotic. I had to take him off that. He was crippled with pains in his stomach. He couldn't put up with that on top of everything else. I couldn't do it to him anymore. The melatonin he takes, he was... It was to help him sleep. To help him sleep, yeah. It was half past 12 last night when he went to sleep at 7 o'clock this morning and he got up, which was more hours than what he'd usually get. I won't deny that, you know. What's what's generally speaking his sleep pattern? Does he sleep much? No, he got he he rest I suppose for about one o'clock in the morning. But he's often gotten up at three or four and went to school. Does that mean you're up? Of course I'm up. Yeah. Yeah. And you have let's I mean Sean in himself would be a handful on his own. You've three other children. What age are they? Four, two, and one. My two-year-old oh. is also coming up on the system, and I'm worried that things won't change for her. If you know, if she's in with early intervention at the moment, there's a question of autism or her. I'm worried that things aren't going to change for her, and then I'm also worried about the effects that things would have on them if, if anything does happen to Sean. Do you know, yeah. and what what services or supports are there for them? Do you know if if he does anything? And is home life tricky? I mean, I'm assuming Sean has meltdowns, does he? All the time. Yeah. All the time, and they, they, like before, <coughs> when we had to, when I had things under control with him. It would have been like a meltdown maybe once or twice a week. Do you know, he'd go to his quiet place, his sensory room. I could spot the triggers. Now he is changing so fast and so unexpectedly and so impulsively. I can't even spot the triggers. Do you know, it just click. It just happens. Do you know? Can he's 10? He's, does he hurt you? Can, does, does he hurt oh, yeah. You? yeah. He, like, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, last Sunday we had I, like he was I was trying to get him into his room to kind of calm him down because they're like in, in camps they were saying don't make sure he's in a safe place obviously he's in a safe place I took the telly out of his room I took his playstation out because I was saying save him for himself if he breaks his telly in his playstation he's going to be worse I know. do you know so take these out of his room and let him sit down with his sensory lights on and his sensory pillows and that and he pushed me and he like he nearly sent me flying and I had bruises on my arms from my bruises on my legs from pushing and kicking me do you know he's not a small boy he's a big boy I used to call him my gentle giant like he's not gentle anymore like and he doesn't mean that. I know he no, doesn't mean that. No, I know that so 100%. Hard. I know he doesn't mean it. Um, and you're facing into hormones and teenage years and... It's a dread. It's a dread. I don't know what to say to him. I don't know, like, how do I even explain this to him? Do you know? Like, it's only going to get worse for him. And he knows it's only going to get worse. Because it hasn't gotten any easier. And he's going to school, but I saw in, in your piece um, with Anne Mooney and the Sun, you, you're pushing for homeschooling. And I'm just thinking people are going to read that and think, God, you've got a bit of a break when he goes to school. And yet you reckon... I don't you know, get any break when he goes to school. I, even as I'm speaking to you, I'm worried about how he's getting on in school. What day he's going to have, what way he's going to come out of school. What is after being said in school. Do you know? So you you want him at home full time for it's not, homeschooling? It's not that I want. I I, I worry about socialising sides of things when he's in school. It's the only socialising he because he won't go anywhere. Yeah, it's the only socialising he gets. I do worry about the socialising sides of things. I just don't want him to be stressed. If the, if if school is a stress factor, do you know I'd like to. And you think it that is? Out. You th- you think school is a stress? Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. You don't. It's just yeah. Is it is it psychiatry or psychology? Psychiatry. He needs. Psychiatry. Okay. He definitely needs a psychiatrist. He definitely needs like it's not all ASD. Yeah. You know, it's not all a- ADHD. You know, there's a lot more depth to it. You have to factor in the fact that he has autism. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. if somebody it, like in camps when he said I was hungry, I threw myself out of the car. I, I mean, if if that's not something that needs to be read in depth, you know, then. Yeah. 
like what, what are we doing and is I mean obviously the medication hasn't worked is there another type of medication that could be used is medication the answer or I don't think medication is the answer no I mean, a child on medication becomes a, a teenager on medication, becomes an adult on medication, which means that he's going to be a guinea pig. Again, constantly, it's constant trial and error with him. Do you know mm. what works today? It might not work tomorrow for him. His needs are constantly changing. And yet you're, you're under CAMS. And I was looking up figures at the, at the weekend. There's 2,615 currently on waiting lists for CAMS with 365 waiting more than a year. And you're in the system and Sean is in the system and yet is not getting the help he needs. CAMS isn't a magic potion. Do you know? Yeah. It isn't, it isn't the answer. Cam, I don't know what the answer is, honestly. I, I honestly don't. But it's not the magic potion to make all your problems go away. Sean comes out of CAMS and he, like, I'm after been sitting in there speaking for Sean. Sean doesn't speak and Sean comes out and he still fights his demons. He still battles these demons every single day when he comes out, of, like every single time he comes out of CAMS. And is he intelligent, little boy? Very intelligent. Is it? Highly intelligent. God, that just, it just makes it all uh, so, so... It's um, horrible to watch tonight. And the effect on the younger three, um, Jennifer? Um, the two-year-old is so much in her own world, she doesn't kind of really pay attention. The four-year-old, it does affect uh, Amber Rose. She would see Sean in school and she'd say, oh, Mama, I've seen Sean today. And, no, he hasn't had a good day, so I won't speak to him. Well, bless you know, in Sean's meltdowns, Amber has hidden behind curtains with hands over her ears, afraid of her brother. That's not the brother. Like that isn't the brother that she knows and loves. I can honestly say that that's he's. It's not the same person. He changes so quickly and so much. His whole face changes. It's it's like an episode of psychosis. It's the only way to explain it. But my thing is, what do what do I do in that moment? How can I protect my three younger children? How can I protect my older son? Do you know? You're in an impossible situation. You wrote um, uh, and you sent an email to the Minister for Health, Simon Harris, who has a great understanding of autism with his brother. Yeah. Let's let's be honest. Um, did you get a response? No. Nothing? No. Not even an acknowledgement of the, of the email? No. Not even a confirmation of the email. Oh, wow. OK. Um... I, I don't even know where to point you because I, 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 I'd said earlier you were coming on hopefully somebody might be able to um, point you in the right direction have you have you interacted with other parents I have, you, I have had other parents interacting with me I've had scary emails where other parents like their, their children didn't make it you know that their children committed suicide They're, that's a fair I don't like I live with every single day I don't want to be walking in their shoes like how they do it is beyond me you know I'm lucky that my son is speaking out and hasn't just gone and done it mm. but other parents have said, like, try Pieta House, try uh, Stepping Ahead. I've tried all these places even previous to this and, like, Stepping Ahead offers counselling for me. I don't need counselling. I'd be OK once I know my son is OK. I'd be happy to know my son is happy. Do you know, Pieta House wouldn't, they said, uh, because of his diagnosis of autism, mm. he wasn't, it, it wasn't suited to him. I can't get a reply back off his autism services. I can't get a reply back from St. Joseph's. I have rang them. It's not for the one to try in, do you know? I have rang them. Um, residential care has been another suggestion to me. Yeah, actually, and actually somebody by text is saying the same thing. Has Jennifer considered or would she consider re- residential care? It's not an option. You don't, yeah, you want, yeah. You Sean want. gets sent out of his classroom. Not, not sent out, that's the wrong way of putting it. Sean goes out of his classroom for sensory breaks. Yeah. And because Sean has to go for sensory breaks, he already feels like he's not wanted. Imagine his mother putting him into a care, residential care. It's not going to make things better for him. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, what Sean needs to be spoken to on a deeper level. He needs an assessment on a deeper level. He needs the mental health services to change and change drastically. I'm not saying pump thousands into a dysfunctional system. I'm not asking for any handouts, nothing like that. What I'm asking for is help for him. Mm. You're uh, you're like so many other mothers. You are so powerful and and so brave. Have you a support mechanism around you? Have you fantastic support? Have you? Have you? Great. Great, you've got a good partner and, and your parents, yeah. are your parents brilliant? Still with you? Yeah, they are they're fantastic, yeah. I would be lost without them. Yeah, and so how do they get on with? Oh, my mum is very close to Sean, is Sean she? is very close to my mum, sorry, um, he idolises my mother. Hard hard for, for grandparents to see this, to watch it, this. This is it, it's a ripple effect, it's not only me yeah. that's affected, you know, his brothers and sisters, his grandparents, like the friends that like, he doesn't even realise cons- that they consider himself his friends. If that hadn't happened to him in the morning, these are all going to be affected too. Yeah, yeah. Where's so the support for them? Okay, hang in there. Hang in there. Listen, thank and you uh, thank much. you very much for coming and being so honest uh, with us this morning. That's uh, Jennifer Hurley. We're going to take a break. We've news at 12 midday. Court today. With Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run, so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. You're listening to Court today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And thank you to people uh, reacting to Jennifer's interview in the last hour. What a difficult, difficult place herself and her family find themselves in. It really is just heartbreaking. But a lot of people saying that Sean is lucky to have such um, a strong, brave mother who's out there trying to campaign on his uh, behalf. And somebody has suggested that there is a care pet farm in the Castle Martyr area. Many children on the autism spectrum have benefited from it. The care farm is on Facebook. Maybe it might help Sean in some way, caring and holding animals, etc. And at the moment, they're also developing a sensory garden. So thank you for that. And that's uh, for anybody out there who's got a child on the autism spectrum. Maybe you'd want to check that out. It's a, I don't know what the name, but if anybody can give us further details of the name uh, of it, it's a care pet farm in the Castle Martyr area. Thank you for the listener for that. And then a gentleman uh, rang up quite annoyed saying Patricia owes fathers in general an apology following Jennifer's uh, interview because he wants to point out that fathers are also affected by having a child with special needs or having a child on the autism uh, spectrum and that I should stay say parents um, of course uh, fathers are equally involved in the caring and raising of their children but when you're sitting opposite a mother who's sharing her story if, if you felt it was very one-sided and I was only talking about mothers I didn't in any way uh, mean to uh, mean, mean it to come across that way but Jennifer, as a mother, it was sharing her story with me today. And that's why I might have referenced mothers more than referenced parents. And there are many fantastic fathers out there who are doing terrific work with special needs children. I mean, one of the greatest advocates, I think, on this programme when it comes to carers who we regularly speak to is a gentleman by the name of Porrick who lives in Glamworth. And he's actually a full time carer for his special needs daughter, his his family unit, they, they decided that the wife would go out to work, the mum would go out to work and that Porrick would remain at home as a full-time carer. And he's, he's, yeah, he's a man, he's a dad and a fantastic full-time carer. And as I say, he's just a great advocate on behalf of carers. So yes, I'm very aware that, but my apologies to you if you think in any way I offended fathers that I should have referred to parents more than referring to mothers as I did in the last hour. And actually somebody else has taken umbrage with me as well 
about males versus females. When I was talking earlier about the stay-at-home mothers, because in fairness, I read out a comment about the stay-at-home mothers and how they were affected by changes that were introduced in 2012 to the way, way the the state pension was allocated and I said the government are working on that at the moment somebody says you're talking about the stay at home mothers what about the men who also lost lost out and you're right there's 67,000 pensioners in total who have now been affected by the changes that were introduced in 2012 the bulk of them are women but there were men as well I think it's over three quarters of the 67,000 were women and that's why when people talk about this issue they talk about women because it it affects more women than men because traditionally it was women who stayed at home who took time out to raise families or maybe to look after elderly parents or if as in Jennifer's case there was a special needs child and somebody had to give up work to look after the special needs uh, child that wasn't to say that men for whatever reason didn't opt out of work and the chunk a chunk of their working life was missing when it came to assessment for their old age pension. So they've been affected as well. But it, it, it does give me time, seeing as it's been raised on the programme today, to mention an email. Actually, I got in from the, the Minister Jim Daly when he was on with us. It was the day of the budget. It was a couple of weeks ago we were talking about the budget and we were just about to get into the issue of the changes to the state pension when he got called away he had to go into the doll of the Senate uh, at the time but he actually emailed on um, uh, details of what's happening and to tell me that good progress has been made because what they're now doing is they're reviewing the pensions and these and this in particular will affect the people who had when the changes were introduced in 2012 they're going to provide for an alternative total contributions approach with a recalculation for contributing pensions and this will affect men and women born on or after the 1st of September 1945 and new home caring periods will take account of time spent out of the workplace either for parenting or for caring duties. Now Jim Daly said a couple of weeks ago that a number of elements had to be put in place to facilitate the implementation of the changes but that they were getting very very close and great progress was being made to the point of temporary staff have been recruited to carry out reviews and it is expected that Regina Doherty should be this week or next week starting to issue letters to the 67,000 pensioners. They say, well, the end of October she's expecting to start sending out those letters which will explain how the process of review of work will how what's going to happen and it will give an update and she's going to give an update on the progress. Now, according to Jim Daly, no pensioner will be worse off as a result of the review and they're expecting the majority will be positively impacted by the recalculation and a move to the higher pay- payment. When Where a pensioner does not benefit from the managers introduced, they'll continue to receive the existing amount. They won't decrease decrease and those that will get increases it's expected the first payments will be made in the first quarter of 2019 backdated were relevant to the end of March 2018 so that certainly is good news and will be good news for the bulk of the 67,000 they're saying some of them won't but the all important key date it will affect pensioners born on or after the 1st of September 1946 but keep a look out in the post and actually because I know we've had a lot of our listeners have been affected by this so 
so I need some some of our listeners now to be our detectives for us. Let us know when those review letters come out and what's what's in them, please. That's the that's the way because they're not going to contact the media. I imagine to say that the letters are out, but just so that we can let others know that those letters are in the post. So keep an eye out for those, please. Somebody else by text earlier on, and I'm only I'm only a chance now to get around to it, saying, "Is this for real?" Uh, along with a 10k new gym equipment from the doll couch potato something is seriously wrong in our little country this is Noel who draws attention to a piece in the paper the Department of Health wanted to pay the new chairperson of the HSE €100,000 a year for a job wait for this that would involve working two days a week but they decided 100000 for two days a week was a bit expensive bit excessive so they went into negotiation and they said came up with a salary of €80,000 a year for two days work and actually if you if you in today's Irish Examiner Ken Fox is writing about it and I have to say if you are prone to blood pressure the article by Ken Fox in today's Examiner might just make your blood pressure spark a little bit and he's talking about the fact that somebody at the Department of Health decided that it was okay to pay the chairperson of the HSE €100,000 a year for a job which involves only working two days every week but then the Department of Public Expenditure got involved Negotiations, toing and froing went on, and they said, No, the figure would be better 80,000. Two days a week work. It seems bizarre. The Department of Health wanted the pay packet to be linked with its plans for a new starting salary for the new chief executive. Interviews for that role are scheduled later on this month. The salary of the chief executive will range from €250,000 to 300000 Now, everybody accepts that that's a very pressurised job and that in order to get the right calibre of uh, people to apply, they need, it does, it needs to be at the upper end of the salary scale. And I know people will say, how in God's name does anybody need to be paid that kind of money? But it's, but the but the chairman of the HSE getting 80,000 for two days, I just, I find that such a crazy uh, figure. And according to Ken Fox, this is where blood pressure will start to go up a bit. The chairperson of Board Nimona was paid €21,600 a year. Between four and eight days a week per month is the work. Chair of CIE gets €31,500 a year for 10 half-day meetings every month. There is also a significant further time commitment. But anyway, it's I'm assuming it's like board meetings or something he has to attend. Uh, it's just, it just it seems there's some other uh, ones in there as well. Uh, some other uh, uh, you get into AIB, then the chairperson of uh, AIB, Smurfit Board of Ireland and Kappa. What are they all being paid? crazy sums of money as well. Anyway it's an article if you want to look down through it I'm just skimming down through it there but just to say it, it, it's not, it is not good for the blood pressure can I say but Noel anyway spotted the piece that said that the, that the Department of Health will now pay the chairperson of the HSE €80,000 a year for doing two days two days a week work it will infuriate so so uh, many people that's for sure and thank you for somebody who says the pet farm that we're talking about in Castle Martyr is called Care Farm okay C-A-R-E Care Farm if people want to check that up on Facebook because they've got a Facebook page and they work with children on the autism spectrum thank you for that John in Cork says Patricia this is to do with Peter Casey and the views on the travelling community the travelling community remind me of Theresa May and Brexit 
They want all the benefits of the settled community and yet want to remain their, within their own ethnic community. I'm a pensioner living alone and I regularly have travellers calling to my door in twos and threes with an intimidating attitude, offering their services, cleaning gutters, etc. I've been robbed several times and my tools, which I've had for many, many years, have been taken. I've actually seen members of the travelling community take them, but I was afraid to contact the Gardaí for fear of reprisal. The only thing left for them to take now is my sanity. I am going to vote for Peter Casey and use it as a protest vote to get a message to Fine Gael about their failure in tackling rural crime. Peter Casey should not feel that he will be remembered only for his comment in the travelling community, but he should be remembered for being honest. He's speaking up for many in rural Ireland. We need more like him. And that's from John in Cork, which is when you read that comment, there's a huge, my heart breaks for John to think he's living in that kind of fear. But he is telling a story that we've been highlighting and talking about on this programme when only last week when we spoke with, was another deputy president of the IFA, spoke to us about, uh, they were at the Justice Committee and they were talking about rural crime and it came on the back of the Gardaí being in with the Oireachtas Committee on Justice saying that rural crime had decreased and the IFA came out and we'd spoke also previously with Winton Atira and other farming organisations, I think the ICSA also mentioned it where they say rural crime isn't decreasing but when the Gardaí look at the figures that are on their books, it might, looks like, it might look like it's decreasing. But there are so many people living in rural Ireland who are victims of rural crime and they don't report it to the Gardaí. They A, don't report it because they feel nothing would be done or B, exactly what John is saying. They're afraid to report. They know exactly who has committed uh, the crime, but they're afraid, afraid to report because of, of reprisals. And because of that, you have people living in rural Ireland who are just living in total and absolute fear, which is no way to live your life where you go to bed at night in fear that you're going to be broken into or every little noise that you hear around your property. You are living in in absolute fear that you're going to be broken into, something is going to be stolen from you or you're going to be attacked. And it's just heartbreaking to, to see John put in print that tools that he had had you know, all for many, many years that he's built up and probably lovingly looked after and, you know, repaired and got, you know, great years out of these tools. And, and they're very, they're very dear to him as well because they're his own tools that he's built up over the years and they were taken. And yet he felt for fear of reprisal, he couldn't report it to the Gardaí. It's just, that's heartbreaking and, and fears that he's sanity. That's all, that's all that he has left. Hang on to your sanity, uh, John. But it's it's of no consolation to you, but you unfortunately, you're not on your own. There are many others who will be able to identify with that very articulate text that you've put together, but that's not going to give you much comfort, uh, is it? 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Donnerell Active Retirement Group, they're holding their next meeting this afternoon at three. That's in the community centre. Tim Cochran will give a talk on safety in the home and the usual go-for-life exercise and arts and crafts prior to the meeting at two. All are welcome. 
the Clonakilty Wellness Committee they're holding their annual AGM tonight half past seven in O'Donovan's Hotel in Pier Street in Clon the committee are delighted to have Alice Taylor well known author from Inna Shannon as guest speaker new members and new ideas are always welcome more information you can contact Adrienne on 087 6599526 Ballyhooley Community Alert they're holding an important awareness evening tonight at 8 that's in the Ballyhooley GAA Pavilion. Topics will include crime prevention, home protection, care of the elderly, CCTV, text alert and incident reporting all are welcome. And the Bantry Kelp Campaign, they're holding a fundraising break-a-brack sale this coming weekend and they're accepting donations of items for the sale at the Old Cinema in Bantry today, tomorrow and Wednesday between 4 and 7 each day. No books please, clothing or electrical items please and if you require help with transport then call them 086 232-8286 and Como Ella the Mallow Community Choir they're holding a table quiz that's on Thursday night 9 o'clock Albert Lynch's Bar tables at 4 40 euro great prizes plus the choir will provide some entertainment all are welcome Court Today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow it's family run so your loved one will feel at home see breedhaven.ie C103 and just to let you know later on uh, in the next about 10 minutes or thereabouts Annalise Dressel a nutrition therapist is going to be joining us and we, we haven't um, done this topic in quite some time we're going to be looking at gallstones and kidney stones so if you've got a question with regard specifically to that you're suffering with gallstones or kidney stones please let us know. Shona Reardon is writing in the examiner today. The Cork County Council are looking to ban children over 12 from using playground equipment now unless they've got a physical or intellectual disability. And I'm, I'm, I would be interested to hear from uh, parents on this one how you feel about going along to the playground with your smallies or maybe grandparents bringing their smallies along to the playground. Do you find that you're put off if you're there and there's a group of teenagers hanging around the playground because I imagine this is where the council are uh, coming from. Now there was bylaws introduced and I remember we did interviews on them in 2013 all to do with playgrounds. We've got the wonderful skate park in Bandon. I don't know how many other areas have a, have a skate park and of course the outdoor gyms are terrific so they introduced new bylaws the council did in 2013 for example under the proposed under, now they want to reintroduce new ones. Under the new ones they want skate parks to not to be used by children younger than eight and they also want to restrict the outdoor gyms to children aged 14 and over. The new bylaws would amend the 2013 ones. The 2013 ones were the ones that banned all adults from entering a playground. I mean, at this time that was done to protect from suspected uh, paedophiles unless you had a young child. They didn't want any adults hanging around because you would question why would an adult be hanging around a playground unless they're there uh, with a child. So that's why they brought them in in 2013. But the new bylaws now are going to allow for Tidy Towns members to be allowed into players or gyms if they're going to clean up now they need to have the consent of the council staff because I wouldn't have thought about that of course if if the bylaws say that an adult must be accompanied by a child that then would stop people like 
the tidy towns groups from growing, from going in. Now, I don't know if it ever caused a major problem for many members of the tidy towns, but they're going to look at that and sort of just sort of amend the laws to allow, allow people that are going in to uh, clean up. But they also want, and this is one that's going to affect children that use the Bandon Skate Park. They've noticed that children under the age of eight are using the skate park in Bandon and they're using it, obviously, and I'm imagining with their parents, because it's a safe area to learn to cycle their bicycle. And that's not what the skate park was designed for. So they're going to try and stop that. And they feel the way to do it is to ban under eights from going into the skate uh, park. Some councillors then have questioned about the age limit on the playground equipment and increasing it to 14. It's at 12 at the moment. The council officials say no, that the type of equipment that they have in the playgrounds all over the county really are aimed at and they're designed for children for 12 and under. So they say 12 is enough. Pulling it out to 14 uh, really is not a good move. And the gym equipment, I mean, it's rare that I see anybody using the gym equipment. I have to say there's a really good outdoor gym in a park in Mallow that I pass uh, quite regularly and as I say it's rare that I see an adult using it the only time I ever see anybody using it are our children so what the county council are looking at they're saying that firstly their insurers will not cover them if anybody under the age of 14 is injured while on any of the outdoor equipment so it's uh, it's been proposed that once finalised the new bylaws will be put on display outside all the playgrounds which will clearly state for the outdoor gyms that you must be over the age of 14 in order to use the equipment. Now, as I say, their proposals at the moment, it'll be interested, I'll be interested to see if any of our local councillors have views on it. The abandoned one with the skate park, I think is one that will cause some consternation because obviously there will be children. I don't know if under eight-year-olds use the skate park for skating or not. And will some parents, I mean, if you're going with your 10-year-old and then your seven-year-old is not allowed to skate, that's going to cause a bit of friction within the household, I imagine. So we'll keep a close eye on that. And uh, if any more comes up, particularly from any of the councillors themselves, because I take it they'll start to discuss this at various meeting, meetings at the moment. All of these draft, uh, the bylaws are being passed around all of the councillors for their attention. But I mention it, as I say, because it has made the papers today so I wanted to give it a little bit of a mention. Also a mention for tonight and to wish the very best of luck to John Hooten who is launching Ireland the way we were and he's launching it tonight in the Mercy Centre in Mallow. We spoke with John a couple of weeks ago on the programme when he came in with his new book, this wonderful, wonderful book, Ireland the way we were. This is the book whereby he went in with his camera to houses that have been locked up, houses where people once lived, what were once very vibrant family homes and some 20, 30, 40, 50 years on. Nobody lives in these houses anymore. Many of them are derelict. Some of them are not. I have to say, looking at the photographs and he just went in there into the stillness of these houses and took photographs and every single photograph tells a story. They're just, it's a remarkable, remarkable book. And the book is going to be launched tonight in the Mercy Centre in Mallow at eight o'clock. The launch has been done by local doll deputy Sean Sherlock and it's in conjunction with the Mallow Camera Club and it is open to anybody who wants to go along and uh, the book is on sale as they say in all good bookshops locally and it can also be bought I think um, well I know he's got his own website so I'm sure it can be bought uh, online even though I was on his website I don't know if I saw that actual book on it but anyway you can certainly uh, you can 
contact him through his website, which is john slash hooten dot com. John hyphen hooten dot com. Hooten spelled H O T O M. And a very quick mention to social dances, social dancing classes. We're often asked about social dancing classes because it's a great way when men and women get to a certain age and they're trying to meet up with somebody from the opposite sex, be it for a bit of romance or be it just for companionship or just somewhere to go. And how many times when somebody contacts us to say I'm lonely, what would people suggest? Social dancing keeps time and time again. Social dancing uh, comes up. But then the problem is, what if you can't dance? So you need to have a few classes. Well, social dancing classes with Michael Welton is going to commence this Wednesday in Dara Community Hall from nine to half past ten. You can learn to waltz, the quick step, the foxtrot, the slosh. No idea what the slosh is. Jive, get fit, have a laugh and make new friends. And what's important about this, no partner, no problem. And beginners, beginners particularly welcome. So if you have two left feet and you don't have a partner, go along. They'll match you up with somebody else. So that's Indara Community Hall this Wednesday, 24th of October, between nine and half past ten. Uh, social dancing with Michael Welton. Good luck to Michael and all involved there. This is the Court Today replay on C103. And Annalise Drizal from the Health Hub Times Square in Balancholic joins me. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. And Patricia. today we are going to be talking about gall, gallstones and kidney stones. But before we do, there's just a couple of quick questions that have come in that you might be able to answer quickly for people. Uh, Pat in Bantry was on to say turmeric. He puts it directly onto his porridge in the morning, but he's wondering how much of it should he be using every morning in his porridge? Well, I suppose, Patricia, depends if you want to use it as, a, like if you've got a lot of inflammation and you're trying to bring inflammation down, you probably need about five to six teaspoons of it a day, which is kind of hard going because it's pretty strong. But if it's just for good health, I think probably a teaspoon a day would be very good to be able to include. It might be too much to put the full teaspoon onto your porridge. So if you make a golden milk, which is um, any type of milk, you can use dairy or goats or almond or oat milk, any of those kinds, with a teaspoon of turmeric, maybe some um, ginger ground into it or grated into it, a little bit of black pepper and some honey. That's a delicious drink and it's um, great to take at night time to help keeping you asleep as well. Yeah, and an easy way to get it into you because I was thinking the same thing, to pour that amount of turmeric onto your porridge would, oh, it, oh, it, would, it would be hard to eat. Yeah. Uh, Kate says, could you ask Annalise, please, what are the best yogurts to take? Are there any such thing as the best yogurts? Because when you go into the supermarket, there's so many yogurts inside in the fridge. Yeah, and the thing is, Patricia, is I've bought yogurts and forgotten about them and found them in the back of the fridge six yeah. weeks later and they're yeah. still fine. So I'm not sure how many bacteria could actually be in it if it's still okay six weeks later. Yeah. So I think probably, I'm not sure what the best one would be necessarily. I can tell you what ones to avoid. They would be the ones with added sugar. Go for the full fat, natural variety. And if you want, you can sweeten it up yourself with a bit of honey or maybe some fruit yourself. Whereas the ones that um, they've got fruit added often have two or three teaspoons of sugar. Sugar, I mean, the Actimels are my worst. Um, nightmare Patricia they have so much sugar in those little bottles and they're being sold as being healthy for your immune system etc etc so I think what happens with yogurts now is that they pasteurize them um, after they've been you know after the bacteria have fermented the milk so I don't think there's an awful lot of bacteria in there so if you can make your own it's so easy to make your own 
um, you'll get a starter from a health shop and you literally just pour milk on it, leave it in a warm place and a couple of days later you've yoghurt. Yeah, and I love natural yoghurt. I, I, I don't have a problem with it um, at, at all. OK, someone else has says, Hi, Annelise. How to avoid constipation on a low fibre diet due to diverticulitis and some mags? Yes, it's funny. I've seen a lot of low fibre informa- um, recommendations, Patricia, coming in um, for people with diverticulitis. And I'm not sure naturopathically that's what we would recommend because constipation will actually increase your risk of getting an infection. So really you want to keep it moving. I think the worst things that you can probably eat if you've got diverticulitis are the very high fibre foods that are impossible to break down. Like a cabbage now would be very difficult and um, those ones that you know everybody really has a problem with that cause a lot of wind. Um, And also anything like nuts and seeds because those tiny little ones can get stuck in the pouches and cause um, an infection that way. So the best way to get fibre into if you are on a low fibre diet and you are following that advice is to go for the soluble fibre. So, excuse me, oats are a very uh, good source of natural soluble fibre as are pears. That's why they're so good at keeping us regular. Prunes as well are another option. So any of those would work. But if even those are not allowed on your high, on your low fibre diet, the best thing to do is soak a tablespoon of linseeds overnight in about a half a glass of water. And the following morning, you'll notice that the water has turned to a gel. That's the soluble fibre. So you take the soluble fibre part and throw away the seeds and that will help keep it nice and soft and regular. Yeah, and it's just the gel. You don't actually have the don't seeds take, at all. Definitely don't. Stay okay. away from seeds at all costs. And one, and like one final question before we get to our gallstones and kidney stones uh, piece. This is to do with pains in knees, says Sandy. Um, I exceeded the recommended amount of Meridian joint pain oil for the last three weeks and the arthritic pain that absolutely tortured me at night went. I've now cut back. However, the side of my knees are very painful to touch. I've been using a menthol and wintergreen cream but for the life of me, I can't remember where I bought it. Does Annalise know where it is on sale? It is like a deep heat type liquid. Gosh, now that's interesting because they've taken wintergreen out of a lot. I know that there is one lady, herbalist, down in Formoy area and she has a, a an arthritis product that has wintergreen in it. It's, her company is called Liveka, L-I-V-E-E-K-A and maybe there might be a local stockist of that. There's also another one called Horsebam, um, which is by a company called Celadonia. That has wintergreen and menthol in it. And that could be that can be very good, actually, for muscle and joint pain as well. And I get very good feedback on a one, Patricia, that's actually got glucosamine in it. It's by a company called Optima, O-P-T-I-M-A, and it's the glucosamine joint complex. And there's a mix of different things in there, but the feedback on that is always really, really good. So maybe she can try that. Okay, all right. Let's go to gallstones and uh, kidney stones. And let's start with the symptoms. What are the symptoms of of kidney or gallstones? And are are they both the same? Um, Probably totally different, really, Patricia, um, in that the kidney stones, you won't... And with, with both of them, you probably won't know until you've developed fairly, you know, problematic stones. If you've got kidney stones, the first likely um, um, symptoms will be pain on urination, um, feeling tired, possibly even a bit of fever. fever. But if you start to pass the stone, 
it's an excruciating pain that you, like, worse than childbirth, supposedly. I haven't had one, but my dad had them, and he's a fairly hardy man for pain, and he was completely wiped out by kidney stones. So that would be kidney stones. With gallstones, probably before maybe they become majorly problematic, you'll notice maybe um, indigestion a lot, problems digesting fats, so you might feel quite nauseous or even vomit after fairly fatty foods. You might notice that your stool gets very pale in colour and very sticky and smelly, which means, again, you're not digesting your fats properly. And that could all indicate a problem with gallstones um, building up. But again, if the gallstone starts leaving the gallbladder and gets stuck in the duct, the pain there, again, can be absolutely excruciating. What causes these kidney stones and gallstones? So, well, there's the... There, Gallstones often is mostly as a result of diet. Um, There is, of course, a genetic link as well, but we produce bile that helps us break our fat down and and prepare it for digestion. Um, But bile is also a great way of getting toxins and cholesterol out of the body. So it's when you have um, a lot of cholesterol in the diet um, that your body is trying to get rid of, that's when your risk of gallstones go up. So foods that would raise cholesterol, like your very high and saturated um, fat foods, they would increase your risk of gallstones. They also precipitate with salts, the bile salts. So the salts are often mostly calcium-based, really, I suppose. So you might be more prone to it if you are on a calcium supplement, for example. So that would be gallstones, very, very largely diet-related with a genetic, strong genetic link. And then kidney stones. Kidney stones are, again, um, a very gene- very strong genetic link. People who have got a problem with gout, um, where they have too much uric acid in their system, they'll produce um, more kidney stones than other people. Um, oxalates in, in the diet, like you'd get oxalates now, we'll say in chocolate, spinach, certain foods like that, they can also precipitate in the kidneys and form stones. Um, calcium is another big one that... Um, forms stones in the kidneys. If you have a very high salt or sugar diet, the the kidneys have to work extra hard. Also a very high protein diet. That's another reason the kidneys would need to work extra hard. So then you'd have a much higher chance of of kidney stones forming. And people who've been prone to kidney infections where there's been a lot of inflammation um, over a, a period of time, they will also be more likely to get kidney stones. So then if you are if you are prone or you have had these stones, what are the foods you need to avoid? So with gallstones, now, and again, I suppose most of the time the gallbladder is removed, Patricia, and people often take a long time to recover after um, having their gallstones, uh, their gallbladder removed and maybe never even fully come back. So I think try yourself, if the pain isn't too bad, to get rid of the gallstones. So the first thing, obviously, is to change your diet hugely. If you're in a lot of pain and very nauseous, you would need to go low fat for a short period of time until things clear up. So cut out as much fat as possible of the diet, eat a huge amount of vegetables, drink um, plenty of water. And then what you want is something that will soften up the stones. So there's a couple of supplements that could help with that. One of them is called, and I'll spell it as well, Patricia, because it's, it's an unusual one. It's called um, Chanca Piedra, C-H-A-N-C-A. P-I-E-D-R-A and it's a plant from the Amazon actually and that is wonderful for helping soften out stones. If you can soften the stone it'll pass naturally and painlessly. Another thing that's great for softening stones as well is malic acid. This goes actually now the softeners go for both kidney and um, gallbladder stones. Malic acid you find a lot in apple juice but you can actually buy malic acid just on its own in the health shop. 
So for kidney stones then, um, oh sorry, just to finish off on the gallbladder then, you will be experiencing a lot of problems with your digestion. So I would definitely take um, a supplement with some ox bile in there. And if you go into the health shop, there's lots of digestive enzymes with ox bile. And that'll just help you get over the hump. The idea then is to bring down the inflammation in the gallbladder. And there's another supplement for that called um, Taracin, T-A-R-A-C-Y-N. And it's a combination of things that will help bring the inflammation down in the gallbladder help soften out the stones and also help you produce more bile so the more bile the more likely you are to be able to flush and get rid of the stones but so, but very painful conditions from what you're describing oh, so painful and i think with the gallbladder the kidney stone is excruciating pain but i think the gallbladder it's more feeling sick i mean people people feel sick and nauseous all the time they end oh. up losing an awful lot of weight um and having you know their appetite is gone because everything that they eat makes them feel sick um so again you know if you lose an awful lot of weight very quickly then you're prone of course to getting knocked by coughs and colds so having a poor gallbladder you can actually end up being very sick and um, end up with a whole load of other problems afterwards so um yeah so the i think that um, it is very possible to get your gallbladder back healthy again so long as the um, gallbladder itself is healthy if you can just dissolve out the stones that will help that will work but sometimes the gallbladder is so scar- scarred Patricia there's no option you just have to take it out have, have it removed yeah. and somebody says if you've got if you've had kidney stone once does that mean you could get them again yes and again it's probably hugely genetic I mean definitely people have a genetic tendency to gout it's diet related as well of course very high protein diets will cause it but um, massively genetic so you will be at a big risk of kidney stones um, so for kidney stones, it's really important to drink an awful lot. The more you drink water, the more you're flushing your kidney. This goes for prevention and cure, Patricia. You probably need to be drinking, like I would normally say, a litre of water a day is plenty in Ireland because we don't sweat very much. But I think for if you're prone to these, you'd want to be drinking at least two kidney stones, uh, sorry, at least two litres of water to prevent the kidney stones forming and possibly even three if you have them. Um the other thing then that's wonderful for kidney stones is celery and celery seeds. So you could either eat plenty of celery or juice celery or you could take celery seeds um, in supplement form. And the other two things that I um, recommended as well, the malic acid and the, um, the chanca piedra, those two will help soften out the stone. And if you can soften the stone enough, they will generally pass without much pain. And you can actually pass them naturally yourself. Okay, and someone just says by text on the menthol and wintergreen cream. A listener says, uh, I got some last year. I think I got it in Boots, the chemist. Uh, So maybe for the listener to try chemist shops, uh, they may have it on sale there as well. Okay, we leave it there, Annalise. Thank you for that. And uh, we won't chat next week because it's Bank Holiday Monday. We'll talk in a fortnight's time. Thanks. Can I just um, very quickly mention that on Thursday afternoon um, at half past six, we have a free workshop for people who might be interested on essential oils and how to use them for your own health both internally and externally so if people want to come along they do need to book because places are very limited but they're very welcome to call the shop and I'll book them in for that and it's this Thursday this Thursday coming and it's completely free okay in the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic thanks for that Annalise bye bye that is uh, Annalise Trissel
little ditty about Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up in the heartland. Jackie gonna be a football star. Diane's debutante backseat of Jackie's car. Chili dog outside taste freeze. Diane sitting on Jackie's lap, got his hands between her knees. Jackie say, Hey Diane, let's run off behind the shady trees. Dribble off those Bobby Brooks, let me do what I please. Say, Oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Say, Oh yeah. Jackie sits back, flexes, thoughts for the moment, scratches his head and does his best James Dean. Well, then, there, Diane, you gotta run off to the city. Diane says, baby, you ain't missing nothing. But Jackie says, oh, yeah, life goes on. Long after the thrill of living is gone. Oh, yeah, they say life goes on. Long after the thrill of living is gone. That's John Cougar Mellencamp on C103 singing all about Jack and Diane. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Court today with Breedhaven Nursing Home Mallow. It's family run so your loved one will feel at home. See breedhaven.ie. C103. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.